Power hour. Power hour. Coal, wind power, nuclear power, natural gas, solar power, ethanol, oil. Power hour. The show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein, resident fellow at the Ayn Rand Center for Individual Rights. Welcome to Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts discuss today's top energy issues. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. The subject of this month's Power Hour is nuclear power and nuclear safety. This is the most prominent energy issue in the news these days, following the damage to nuclear power plants in Japan, which followed the country's once-in-a-century earthquake and tsunami. Now, we've heard ominous media report after ominous media report about releases of radiation, radiation above government-approved levels, radioactivity, radioactive waste, meltdowns, and on and on. The net effect of all this has been to make many Americans very worried about the safety of nuclear plants in this country and even worried about radiation coming from Japan thousands of miles away. What is urgently needed in this situation, I believe, is education. Education in what nuclear power really is, how it really works, what its dangers really are and really aren't. So on today's Power Hour, we'll give you a step-by-step breakdown of all things nuclear and then break down the situation in Japan. Joining the program to explain all this will be Dr. Jay Lair, a scientist with 50 years of experience in the nuclear industry and, as he likes to say, the ability to explain nuclear power so clearly that even a fifth grade class can explain it. While I doubt that there are too many fifth graders listening to this show, I think we'll all benefit from a clear-eyed, objective explanation of nuclear power. So stay close, and we'll we'll be back with Dr. Jay Lair after the break. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues. Joining us today to break down all things nuclear power is Dr. Jay Lair. Dr. Lair has an extensive background in science, having authored a dozen books and hundreds of articles. He serves as science director of the Chicago-based Heartland Institute and is renowned for his ability to break down scientific controversies so anyone can understand them. He is also the author of the upcoming book, Nuclear Energy Encyclopedia, Science, Technology, and Applications. Dr. Lair, welcome to Power Hour. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be with you. My pleasure as well. I think one of the worst aspects of the Fukushima incident is that we hear from the media all these dramatic claims about nuclear power, radiation, radioactivity, meltdowns. And these uh, claims really scare a lot of people. Uh, I think part of the reason they scare a lot of people is no one has explained in our education or in even the media coverage what these things really are. So I think the important thing for us to do before we discuss Fukushima, which we definitely will do, is to get clear on what nuclear power is and isn't and what its safety concerns are and aren't, and that way we can make sense. How does that sound to you? It sounds good, Alex, and you're exactly right, and I frankly blame uh, the nuclear industry and our government for the fact that the uh, education about uh, nuclear power is is simply non-existent. We built our first plant in 1957 uh, in Chippensport, uh, Pennsylvania, by Duquesne uh, Electric Company. Uh, since then, we've built 104 plants, none since 1977. They supply 20% of our electricity. The world has 444 uh, operating plants, and yet not 25 cents, to my knowledge, has ever been spent on explaining to the public 
what nuclear uh, energy really was in terms of creating uh, electric power, and therefore uh, the fear mongers have uh, moved in and uh, made the public think that a nuclear uh, energy plant is uh, tantamount to a nuclear bomb and that if things go wrong, uh, the bomb goes off, and so the world is held in uh, incredible fear, totally unwarranted. I can explain uh, nuclear energy to a fifth-grade class, and they will have no trouble uh, understanding all of it, because a nuclear power plant uh, is really nothing more than a hot water heater. In a hot water heater, we have a cylinder filled with water. It has uh, metal rods in it, which we electrify. The electric creates resistance in the metal, and uh, heat is given off to the water, and we have hot water. Well, in a nuclear power plant, instead of using uh, metal rods that we charge with electricity, we have cylinders of uh, small pieces of uranium that hang in a vessel of water. The uranium uh, just naturally fissions or splits off uh, atoms, and in the process of splitting off these atoms, uh, heat is created, and the heat uh, heats the water, and in an old-fashioned, which the Fukushima plants are, what we call a boiling water reactor, the water heats up, eventually flashes into steam. The steam is uh, funneled into a turbine. The turbine moves, and electricity is, uh, is created. It's just that simple. Uh, now we don't build those anymore. For the most part, we build what are called pressure water reactors, where we keep the water uh, in the vessel with the nuclear rods under pressure so it does not flash under stream, uh, into steam. And instead, it transmits its heat across a metal barrier into another loop of water, not in contact with the nuclear rods. That water flashes into steam, goes into the turbine, and creates electricity. But, of course, because uh, large amounts of nuclear radiation can be damaging uh, to humans, we have to have a lot of uh, safety systems to ensure that none of the radiation or large quantities of the radiation uh, escape into the atmosphere and uh, create uh, health impacts on, on humans. But it requires a lot of radiation, frankly, uh, to escape to create a problem. And uh, they are so safe that in 40 years of operation with 444 plants around the world, uh, virtually, uh, well, nobody, there's never uh, been a loss of life. There really hasn't been any uh, negative impact on health. It is, in fact, uh, the safest form of energy because as you compare it to coal-fired plants and gas-fired plants, there are uh, accidents all the time that take uh, hundreds of lives, frankly, around the world. And, of course, coal mining uh, creates a, a loss of life. Uh, so nuclear power is actually, by, by a, a country mile, the safest form of energy, and yet the entire world is held uh, captive by fear because they don't understand it. Wow. that That is, I, I think... Uh that's a really good summary of all of the the different pieces of the picture. I'm going to ask you to elaborate on a couple of them because I think some of these these concepts are new to people. So let's let's go back to the fission reaction. Uh, why? How does that work in terms of why is it why is it that we use uranium, you know, as against some other element? And then how is that? A means of, of generating heat because if we think about other sorts of power plants like a natural gas plant or a coal plant, most of us are familiar with the idea of burning something to generate heat and yet uh, generating heat through the radioactivity of uranium is, is a different thing. So could you elaborate on, on how that works and what's, what's well, unique I, I about will it? And I'll try to keep it simple, but, but you, you pointed out a very interesting thing. Why do we use uranium 
rather than other uh, elements. Well, in fact, we could use other elements, and I'm sure as uh, the decades go by, we'll probably use uh, uh, thorium as another radioactive element. There, there are many things that are radioactive that, that automatically give off heat. A radioactive element is simply one that is unstable and really would like to be something else. Eventually, uranium will decay down to lead, although it may take uh, you know uh, thousands of years to to happen. So certain elements within uh, the crust of the Earth are unstable, and they just chuck off uh, electrons and, and atoms, and that process gives off heat. Now, when we talk about uh, nuclear physics, uh, the actual chemical equations uh, can be somewhat uh, complicated, and there's no need to, to really get into the physics and the chemistry. All you need to know that certain elements such as uh, and there are different isotopes of uranium and thorium, and there are a number of other uh, metals that are unstable, and they decay. Uh, the process of decay is just giving off uh, electrons, which creates heat, and every time they give off electrons, in a sense, they become other uh, elements, and eventually you come down uh, to lead, which is totally, uh, totally stable. Uh, but all of these processes give off heat. We use uranium because it is uh, very common within the crust of the Earth. It's relatively easy to, to mine and refine to the point where uh, it's efficient to use in cylinders uh, in these hot water heaters, I'll, uh, I'll call them. But there are other elements that we can use, and my uh, estimation is, and we talk about it in uh, our book uh, with Stephen uh, Cribbett, the Encyclopedia of uh, Nuclear Energy, we talk about the fact that uh, in future decades there are quite a, a lot of other things we could use that might uh, have a, a more a, a natural safety built into them. Uh, one, as one aspect of uh, uranium or just nuclear power in general that I think is remarkable that people aren't aware of is the issue of energy density, which we've talked before in the show in terms of how oil, for instance, packs an incredible amount of energy into a small space. How does uranium compare to that? In well, terms uranium of how much energy? is the most dense form of energy, and, and that's a good point to bring up, Alex. The reason that wind and solar, for instance, can never be of any value to us from the standpoint of the electrical grid. We can fire up a, a home, perhaps, on, uh, and do on solar energy and a few homes on wind, <clears throat> but we can never put it into the electrical grid. It takes up too much space. Uh, to harvest the energy. Uh, so those are the, the least dense of all energies. And then you get into uh, gas, which is a little more dense, and you get into uh, uh, coal, uh, which is a good deal more dense. You get into oil. But nothing compares uh, to uranium. I, I think many people may have seen uh, somebody kind of holding a handful of uh, uranium and saying that it's equivalent to you know thousands of railroad cars uh, of coal, and that is the case. So we, we want to use um, those fuels that have the most energy per cubic uh, meter, and, and that's what uh, uh, nuclear power is. And that's why eventually, I mean, whether it happens in 50, 100, or 200 years, uh, the world will run entirely uh, on nuclear energy in terms of the electrical grid somewhere down the road, certainly not in our lifetimes, but uh, that will happen because one day 
we will run out of fossil fuels. Uh, in this country, if we never built another nuclear plant uh, for a very long time, it wouldn't matter because we have enough coal and natural gas to last us uh, at least two centuries if uh, the government and the environmental advocacy groups uh, ever allow us to, to mine our resources. So in terms of the, the energy density thing, is is remarkable in the sense of this is this is something that's not discussed. This is a, a real positive, as you mentioned. The more energy dense, I mean, all other things being equal, anyway, the more energy dense, the better. And if you look at these things where you see the the coal train versus the small amount of uranium, I mean, obviously that lowers your mining costs. And as we'll discuss, uh, you know, in the next and uh, the rest of the hour, uh, it has definite implications for containment and safety because you're dealing with such a such a small substance. So I think one aspect of nuclear power that's important for people to understand that you're raising is that there are a lot of real positives with it. It's not it's people think of it primarily in terms of what are the dangers, but it's it's this um, it's really this amazing achievement that we can generate so much power uh, from so little and that that you say bodes well for the future. Now other people will say, yeah, we you know if we if everything were powered by nuclear, we'd only have 20 years of nuclear supply left. What do you say to that? Oh, that's absurd. Uh, I would say we have a million years of nuclear supply left. We have so much uh, radioactive material in the crust of the earth. Uh, you know, we can't conceivably uh, run out of it. Uh, so that that is just patently absurd. Uh, I, I would say a million years would be a lot uh, closer than than 20 years. That's just plain uh, simple. And and again, we've got to go back to the safety issue. 444 plants operating without a fatality, without uh, injury. Only Chernobyl, only Chernobyl has cost lives, and that's a plant that would not have built, been built by any sane nation. Uh, it was an accident waiting to happen. I mean, everything went wrong. As best we know now, about uh, something under 50 people died in the explosion and from the radiation, and uh, as the years went by, uh, 20 more people died of uh, uh, leukemia and related uh, diseases, and the, the long-term health impacts uh, never showed up. And I'll, I'll remain and predict that uh, no one in uh, Japan and Fukushima uh, will die of radiation uh, poisoning, even those in the plant, and there'll be no uh, radiation health problems with the population of Japan. Few people are willing to say that. Uh, I guess they're afraid of their positions or their careers. Uh, I've been involved in nuclear power for over half a century, and I have enough data uh, to allow me to say that uh, the radiation emitting from Fukushima is not going to create a health problem other than the stress that the media and the government has put on the poor people that uh, know little about it and, and are fearful and stress will uh, create health problems for them. Uh, well, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And even that issue of, of stress, and it, it, it can really have physical effects on people to not only make them evacuate in a given area, which usually will lead to a certain number of injuries, but also just psychologically it can do, can do, Real damage. Um, just as one point of, of clarification, just so we get everything defined, what is what? How would you define radiation? Um, radiation is the splitting off of uh, electrons uh, from an element, uh, and there are different levels: beta, gamma, alpha radiation uh, that come from uh, any element. Actually, we radiate when uh, if you sleep with somebody in the same bed, uh, you, your, your body is, is radiating particles. Uh, there's radiation everywhere, and it's the loss of 
uh, of electrons from uh, an atom that change uh, essentially the form of that uh, that atom and uh, it, it the, the radiation particles. Uh, some can penetrate uh, skin, some can't penetrate paper. Uh, they vary, and when we get into this aspect of physics, it does become complicated. But uh, radiation allows us to have X-rays and see into the into the human body, so we get radiation from an X-ray. A CAT scan is is a uh, many uh, X-rays one after the other. Uh, there's radiation coming from the mountains and the crust of the earth. When we fly in an airplane, we get radiation. So there are uh, electrons uh, and particles, alpha, beta, gamma, that are you know, given off by just about everything. Uh, there's far more radiation given off in coal mining uh, and actually from a coal-fired power plant than there is from a nuclear power plant. But when we get into the physics of it, uh, it, it does get uh, rather complicated when we just deal with the mechanics of what's going on. It couldn't be simpler. So when, when someone is surrounded, if, if you're just, we'll, we'll deal with accidents in a minute, but if you're just, if you're just, you live, let's say five miles away from a nuclear power plant, what kind of radiation are you being exposed to in comparison to say flying a plane or going outside in the sun? Because this, this point that radiation is everywhere in our lives is, is really important and not known, unfortunately. Um, there is uh, no additional radiation living near a nuclear power plant because they are so totally sealed uh, that the the existence of a power plant in your neighborhood uh, does not raise the level of uh, of radiation uh, in your life, in your environment, your atmosphere at all. Uh, you get far more radiation, you know, right, flying in an airplane. Uh, living in uh, Denver, uh, Colorado, near near the mountains and, and things like that. So uh, basically we make sure that uh, no excess radiation escapes a nuclear power plant, and we do that uh, quite successfully, more so than necessary, Alex. In other words, uh, the high cost of a nuclear power plant is entirely due uh, frankly, to excess uh, safety, to ensure that no radiation escapes when, in fact, uh, small amounts of radiation have uh, no negative impacts on uh, human beings. And, in fact, we know now that low levels of radiation have positive impacts. But that's something that we've been unable to teach the public. Uh, they remain in fear from the old movie, The China Syndrome, from all the predictions of things bad from the 1979 Three Mile Island uh, meltdown from Chernobyl in 1986. None of the bad things ever happened, but uh, we've been able to keep the public uneducated, and and they think, and, and for the last month we keep hearing meltdown, meltdown, meltdown. I guarantee you if you did a survey uh, among any public uh, population out in the street and you asked 100 people what a meltdown was, they would say it was uh, something related to a nuclear bomb. Totally unrelated, and frankly, um, uh, I feel that if the Fukushima plants had melted down right away, we'd have, been, we'd have been better off, because when it melts down, all the uranium and the zirconium uh, lands in a puddle at the bottom of the reactor, and the natural cooling from the Earth uh, would have cooled it off. But because they're still suspended in water, uh, that didn't happen. That is what happened to Three Mile Island. It did melt down. We had a puddle of metal. Uh, it melted about five-eighths of an inch into a five-inch uh, thick uh, stainless steel bottom, and that was the end of it. Uh, 
Describe for us in terms of a general uh, nuclear reactor, we'll leave aside inferior ones that uh, were involved in Chernobyl for the moment, but just a general nuclear reactor, even the kind going back to the 70s, what are the basic safety measures in place that make it, as you say, uh, safer than a coal plant, you know, than an oil refinery, than a natural gas plant, et cetera? Well, by and large, there's nothing that can uh, explode, for one thing. I mean, you, you basically think of it as a hot water heater, a giant metal uh, canister, uh, generally surrounded by a cement layer, and then it's inside a, a building with five-foot-thick uh, cement walls. If, you, uh, if any of the planes that hit the World Trade Center at 9-11 had run into any nuclear reactor, in uh, the United States, uh, the plane would have been destroyed. The reactor would have uh, shut off automatically from uh, vibration, just as they did in, uh, in Japan from the earthquake, and there would be uh, no damage at all uh, to the reactor. That's how they're built. Um, so the, the redundancy of the, the vessel itself, and then cement, and then the whole thing is inside uh, another building uh, eliminates any any possibility of anything happen, and it is not explosive. The explosions that we had in Japan were a result of the melting of the zirconium, which give, gives off hydrogen. It builds up uh, pressure in the in the reactor vessel, and in order to relieve the vessel, they had to release some of the gas, which was hydrogen, and then the hydrogen combined with oxygen in the air, and we had uh, relatively small. Uh, explosions where uh, coal gas is extremely flammable uh, and and everything to do with a coal-fired power plant uh, actually creates uh, greater risk, which certainly can be uh, proven with, uh, you know, hundreds of accidents that have occurred. And, of course, beyond that, just the mining of coal is dangerous. Now, I'm a big promoter of coal, and, I, and as I've said, we really don't need to build another reactor in this uh, country for a century or more because we've got so much coal and natural gas. And we can build uh, power plants that in, from coal and natural gas that are every bit as safe as uh, nuclear power, but we tend to be uh, less cautious because we don't think of them as being dangerous. Uh yeah, that's that's interesting because it seems as if um, I mean in in a book I really like, Petter Beckman's The Health Hazards of Nuclear Power. One one aspect of nuclear power he talks about in terms of of safety is well, one is that you're dealing with a relatively small amount of material, so you can you can apply more safety measures for less money uh, to contain it, and you don't have to worry about as much volume of the material. And the other is that the the material itself is not explosive unless you're talking about uh, something like a nuclear bomb, which I want to ask you about in a second. But in its in its native state, if you just get a bunch of uranium, it's it's a, you can't explode the thing, which is different from uh, other sources of energy. Uh, but so I, I don't know how much we need to parse that out. But I'm just curious: Do you really think it can be as safe as a nuclear plant can? 
Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, this again, again, it's not rocket science, sure. I mean, we, we could make them every bit as safe. There's no reason for, uh, you know, anybody to die in a power plant uh, in our country, and, and really few uh, do. And it's interesting you mentioned Dr. Beckman's book because it was written decades ago, and, and virtually uh, he understood everything about it, and, and the information in that book has never been disseminated out into the public. Yeah, I, I really wish they would they would re-release it because it, it it just it doesn't need any modification. To it, be, it absolutely exactly doesn't, true. and that's an awfully good idea. I might actually uh, <clears throat> look into that. I, I'm uh, you know always under the gun from publishers to write this or that. That might be something that uh, I would uh, look into. And, and he was a mentor of mine and a good friend and. Uh, uh, he, he had it all right then. You're absolutely right. It doesn't, you know, nothing has really changed in the science of, uh, of nuclear physics. Yeah. So, so um, jumping off with Beckman, one of the points he makes in that book that I, I'd like you to elaborate on is that it is impossible, and this is this is he stresses this impossible for a nuclear power plant to explode. Now, this is counterintuitive to people because we hear nuclear power plant nuclear bomb and those are those are somehow uh equated so what is the what is the uh fundamental difference between the two that makes it impossible for it to explode and yet in another context it can generate these unprecedented explosions i don't know that i can explain it simply to an audience but uh atomic power you know and it's funny uh, really it, we call it atomic power we call it nuclear power uh it's really plain old steam turbine power, again, the nuclear, we're just using naturally radioactive uh, elements, uranium-235, uh, 238 primarily, uh, to create heat, to heat hot water and, and then get steam. Uh, a nuclear bomb is, is just something uh, totally unrelated where uh, radioactive elements are combined and compressed in, in uh, such a manner that when they're uh, detonated, they, they create uh, a shock wave of unimaginable uh, power which levels buildings. In other words, the, the thing about a nuclear bomb is that it, it's, it's the shock wave that it creates. Uh, maybe we've seen pictures of Nagasaki and Hiroshima where the city just was essentially uh, leveled, uh, not by radiation, by uh, the, the shock power going through uh, the atmosphere. The radiation is a, is a byproduct of it, which in large quantities people living uh, right near the bomb uh, die uh, from the, the radiation and the damage uh, to their bodies. But it's, it's the, shock, the physical shock wave uh, that is set off by this continuing chain reaction of, uh, of one atom uh, smashing against another, smashing against another. Uh, it's it's very difficult, you know, to to explain that simply, but that's what it does. I mean, TNT uh, does the same thing. You set off an explosion with uh, with dynamite, and uh, it's the shock wave through the atmosphere uh, that simply uh, destroys things in its path. And an atomic bomb is the equivalent of you know uh, million tons of, uh, of TNT. I think I think the issue that you mentioned of concentration uh, is really helpful, or at least it has been for me in understanding it, because the, the what they call you know the level of enrichment of uranium you have you know, the uranium that's actually active uh, is uh, which one uranium two thirty five 
right? Yes. And that's that's the scarce one. And so if you have a piece of uranium, you know, the uranium-238 and other things are going to be much more prevalent. So to even create the chain reaction for nuclear power plant, you need to enrich it to something like 3.5%. And for a nuclear bomb, you need 90%, which is – that's why it's, it's so hard. That's why it was such an achievement. And that's why you have all these countries who have so much difficulty uh, doing it. So at 3.5%, it's just a comp- – as, as I understand it, at least, it's a completely different animal than at 90%. Absolutely. In fact, um, we the re, we get just an example that your audience would be interested in knowing. We don't reprocess our nuclear fuel. We uh, the uh, uranium that we mine, we put in these uh, cylinders, uh, will create enough heat uh, to be an efficient hot water heater for about 18 months, and then we remove it and we don't uh, use it uh, anymore. But all that, we only get 5% of the energy out of the uh, uranium, and it can be reprocessed uh, chemically uh, to build back the percentage to the 3.5% and, uh, and then be useful again for another 18 months. In uh, France, where they have 59 reactors supplying 80% of their electrical energy, they reprocess all of their fuel rods over and over again. So when they're finished with... Uh, their fuel, they have 5% waste. When we're finished, we have 95% waste. That's why, you know, we have the nuclear waste uh, problem, or we have thought of as having one. And in France, uh, all the nuclear waste they have uh, created is turned into glass and stored under the basement of a single building in La Hague in, uh, in France. So uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's at a very low level. It can be reprocessed to even stay at that low level. To bring it up to 90% required for a bomb, sometimes you'll read about Iran buying centrifuge after centrifuge, thousands of them, uh, in order to uh, concentrate the, uh, the uranium. It's, it's very complex. Uh, so in terms of, uh, let's see, just one one final thing uh, about the safety. Well, I guess actually two things. Can you talk a little bit about the issue of so actually you addressed the issue of waste. So I think I think that that pretty much covers it in terms of you're dealing with a very small amount of material to start with, and then you can use an enormous enormous percentage of it, and which is a higher percentage of usage relative to waste than than other power sources are. Uh, how does plutonium fit into this? Because plutonium people might know from Back to the Future, they think, and they're really scared of it. But from my understanding, plutonium, uh, and they talk about it as so toxic and dangerous. But from my understanding, plutonium can be incredibly valuable. Well, uh, we 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 actually do make uh, bombs out of plutonium. I mean, we we move down uh, the chain from uranium to uh, plutonium, and it is the it is actually the primary radioactive material related to uranium that is used in a bomb. And uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in 1976, uh, signed an executive order saying that we could no longer uh, reprocess our uranium fuel because in the reprocessing, a very tiny amount of uh, plutonium is created. And he felt that someone could come steal the, the plutonium and make a bomb. Well, sadly, uh, many people are aware, uh, Jimmy Carter studied uh, nuclear uh, physics, nuclear energy at the Naval Academy, but sadly, I believe he was uh, in the bottom three people. I don't know if he was last in the class or third to <laughs> the bottom. He didn't learn very well. If he had learned better, he would have understood that the plutonium that is created 
when we reprocess the fuel is contaminated with three or four other uh, radioactive isotopes and could, could not be used at all uh, to create a bomb. Uh, secondly, of course, uh, it, it, it's still so radioactive, there's no way uh, anybody could go into a reprocessing plant and, uh, uh, and steal anything without you know, dying in the process. And, of course, the plants are uh, so totally secure and guarded with uh, you know, so many uh, layers of uh, so many feet of cement and so on. You can go through the scenario. It's virtually impossible. But anyway, he stopped it. Um, Reagan signed another executive order, you know, eliminating that in 1992, and we could be reprocessing, but uh, nobody or, or few people uh, decided to uh, do so since we'd gone uh, decades uh, with, without it. But uh, plutonium is uh, much more radioactive. It's what we do use uh, partially in, uh, in atomic bombs. We do not use it in power plants. Okay, I think that's that's a really good what we have so far is a really good base uh, to look at the situation of Fukushima. So I'd ask you if you were just a journalist, but who knew about nuclear power in the way you do, and you wanted to tell someone straightforwardly with no hype, no hysteria, what has happened to date in Fukushima? How would you do that in a couple minutes? Well, I would do it in a very positive way because it's fairly amazing that they built those plants to withstand an 8.2 Richter scale earthquake and it withstood uh, a quake uh, seven or eight times stronger at 9.0, and the, the quake did not destroy them. They, it was built to withstand about a, I don't know, 25-foot uh, uh, wall of water from a tsunami, and they had 40 feet. So uh, I'm actually more amazed that it stood up as well as uh, it did. I think uh, if they made any mistakes, they didn't have contingency plans to bring in the manpower of, uh, of the Army or the, the, the fire departments, and maybe they didn't move uh, quite as quickly or enlist uh, the number of people. But I would focus on just the opposite of what has been focused on and say it is amazing to me how well the plants have stood up. Uh, the radioactive water was and should have been dumped into the ocean, which will, uh, it will dissipate very rapidly. The radiation that has escaped through uh, uh, venting that was done on purpose and some other uh, cracks not on purpose is at such levels that it's, it's really physically impossible, Alex, for the population uh, in Japan to be affected by radiation uh, sickness, uh, and, and I think it's unconscionable that they have been scared. Uh, the 12-mile evacuation uh, was, frankly, far more uh, than necessary, and the fact that they're even moving some people further away is unnecessary, and I think it's politically motivated. The fact that our government said they should evacuate people 50 miles out is, a, is an absolute uh, disgrace. I mean, think about the impact on uh, an elderly population with all kinds of medicines being taken from their homes and put in uh, shelters miles away. Uh, that will undoubtedly create uh, stress-related il illnesses, respiratory, cardiovascular, or digestive problems. We know that occurs uh, when you have these kind of uh, disasters. So I would have written things uh, as a journalist just the opposite and saying, you know, they've, they've done an amazing uh, job. Certainly they've, they've had problems. We would have liked the thing to be over in a couple of weeks. It's not quite uh, over yet. They're finding uh, levels of radiation everywhere because we can find radiation levels down to the most minuscule uh, 
values, and they're scaring people because they keep finding levels that exceed uh, what is considered uh, the government uh, maximum standards. But those maximum standards are, in, are conservative uh, a hundred or a thousand fold. We really kind of figure out what could cause damage, and then we allow a hundredth or a thousandth of it for the, the elderly in the population that might have poor immune systems, the infants that have poor immune systems, and the, the lame and the halt, the, the sick people. So we, we have these incredibly uh, safe levels, and what that does, though, is make people afraid because people don't know that we create these maximum levels at, at, at such uh, exceedingly small levels, much smaller uh, than could ever uh, impact a human being. So there are people running around uh, scared and fearful. It will impact their lives. Uh, I, I've studied every nuclear disaster, and there's some that uh, people aren't even aware of that have uh, occurred in research uh, uh, situations, and the impact of the low-level radiation never did exist. It, it really exists because of a mathematical model that the government's developed that says if a lot of radiation is bad for you, the last little alpha, beta, or gamma particle that uh, strikes your body is bad for you, and that is not true. Uh, the literature now is just full of the fact that as we uh, go down in radiation levels, a small amount of radiation is actually uh, very good for you. We found this out uh, years after Nagasaki and Hiroshima when we found that as you moved away from the bomb and you found populations that received radiation, they ended up with lower cancer rates than the general population of Japan. And now there are hundreds of articles that support the fact that small amount of radiation is actually good for you rather than harmful. But all of these projections of, of cancer and reduced health are based on the fact that, that no level of radiation is good. It's all mathematical models, and all it's done is scared people to death. Yeah, I think I think that's a really that's a really important point about the the levels and in my understanding, and I'm definitely not a scientist, but this is this is true with a lot of poisons where the dose is everything in terms of, you know, a li you can't say well, you know, you'll get a little bit of arsenic and then you know a ton of arsenic can kill you or a lot of arsenic can kill you, but a tiny amount is not going to like slightly kill you. Is that is that an accurate? That's absolutely comparison? right, and, and there are all kinds of selenium is a. Uh, an element that uh, we that's absolutely required in the human body, uh, and yet uh, a, a larger quantity of selenium will will kill you. And it's true of all kinds of things. There isn't hardly a single vitamin that we take that doesn't support our health that we cannot create illness by uh, by a, by a larger dose. Right? The dose makes the poison. It was said by uh, Dr. Parcellus, I think, back in the 15th or 14th century, and and nothing has uh, changed. And this idea that anything that's bad in a large quantity is bad in a small quantity is patently absurd, and we certainly know that now uh, about nuclear radiation. There have been a number of books out, uh, the best being by uh, Ed Heiserot called, I think it's called, Low-Level Radiation, uh, which documents over and over and over again all the experiments that prove that low levels of radiation are positive. I won't be at all surprised 20 years from now uh, if we don't find that the population of people with, uh, living within a few miles of Fukushima uh, end up with a uh, lower cancer rate than the general population of, uh, of Japan. And I think hearing that many people will feel like, how could that, how could that possibly be? And I think that, that shows the extent to which radiation has just become this demonic term and not actually used as a scientific concept that has 
apparently benefits at certain levels. Uh, I mean, we know it has benefits in terms of using it for things like x-rays. And of course, in certain quantities, like a lot of other things or basically anything, it's harmful. Now, the, the example of water that you use dumping, uh, dumping the water into the ocean, I can imagine people would think, oh my gosh, are you, are you crazy? But you happen to be an expert in water. So I'd like you to just elaborate on the hysteria over dumping the water into the ocean. Well, that's the silliest thing in the world. There are 300 million cubic miles of water in the ocean. The radioactive water is not, uh, does not have a, a significant density difference. It isn't going to move as a plume uh, separate from the rest of the, uh, the water in the ocean. The ocean waves and currents are moving constantly. Any radioactive water virtually at any level we dump into the ocean uh, is going to dissipate and spread out. Uh, within hours and certainly days, I might want not want to, you know, fish 50 feet off the coast from where we're dumping the radioactive <laughs> water. Although my guess is even then it wouldn't bother uh, make, make, bother the fish to the point that I would get sick. But there might be reasonable uh, levels of saying, you know, a, a small zone of non-fishing uh, within a, a certain distance of where the radioactive water was dumped. But uh, believe me. The, no amount of radioactive water that they are dumping out of those plants uh, could have any impact on human health and, and even a, a small, uh, if measurable, impact on fish. And, and eating the fish is, uh, if you go through anatomy and biology and all that, eating the fish isn't going to have uh, uh, an impact on you. So why do you think that there's so much hostility toward uh, nuclear power. We've discussed the issue of there's an absence of education, and that's that's definitely a big part of it. But there's also a real hostility uh, coming from the, the people against nuclear power. And, and they've certainly been provided with evidence on many occasions. I remember that uh, Edward Teller, the great scientist, wrote something after th the Three Mile Island meltdown, which was this alleged catastrophe where no one died and no one got injured. Uh, and he said that he was the only casualty because he had been speaking 20 hours a day, explaining to people in painstaking detail how how nuclear power was safe. And so people have heard this, and yet they still oppose it feverishly. And I, I saw this quote in the New York Times uh, a little while ago about Fukushima, and it was comparing it to Nagasaki, of course, which is, is crazy. And it says, basically, um, the Earth is provided with enough primordial forces of destruction without our help in introducing more. We should leave those to Mother Nature, what do you what do you think of the mentality? Well, that uh, it's, it's sad and disgraceful. I would guess, though, of course, anti-nuclear uh, groups have been around forever. But I would guess if you were to quiz uh, most people who are anti-nuclear, you'd find they're not too big on fossil fuel either. They're the same people that think we can run the world on uh, wind and solar. And, and that's for two reasons, I think. One, uh, they certainly don't understand uh, science or energy uh, at all. And two, they have this wrong-headed idea that uh, the world would be better off uh, if we don't allow uh, undeveloped nations to develop, if we don't allow uh, the poorer uh, portions of mankind to have a better standard of living if, in fact, we could hold uh, population uh, growth back and return to some uh, mythical uh, primal uh, period of time. So uh, 
uh, I think that's really the motivation because technically uh, it is un, it is totally unsupportable. But obviously, in the last uh, month, I've been uh, debating them on the radio and TV on a, uh, a constant basis, and it's certainly only emotional. You cannot reach that uh, position uh, technically at all. It's unfortunate, but you see, Alex, fear controls the world, and uh, the demonic people who have. Uh, their own agenda recognize that if you can scare people, you can control them, and that's the way it's done. It's rather sad that the media uh, does the handiwork for the, the groups that want to scare people because bad news uh, sells. But our science education, our whole education system in this country has declined uh, dramatically, and science education leads uh, as being the area that uh, gets the least uh, focus. So it's very easy to scare people with uh, misinformation. And, uh, again, I go back to blaming the nuclear industry in this country. In France, they run uh, tours through their nuclear power plants because they are totally dependent on it, and they have done a job in educating the public about nuclear power and not making them fearful. Uh, they have not in Germany. The German government wants to shut down all their nuclear power plants because uh, they don't understand. In this country, again, I blame the nuclear industry. They've not spent any money that I know of to educate uh, anybody to the simplicity of nuclear power and its safety. We should have been bragging about it uh, for decades. We've launched 200 nuclear vessels. We've never had an accident. These nuclear vessels, uh, the sailors live a few feet uh, from the nuclear power plants. We, they're welcome in every uh, port in the United States. We've never had a problem. We have 104 power plants. We've never had a problem. Only Chernobyl, which is easily explained as to why uh, it blew up, and even it, uh, 20 years later when the U.N. studied uh, the damage, uh, they were absolutely amazed that uh, none of the scary stories ever uh, came to pass. Uh, could you explain quickly what what was different about Chernobyl versus uh, other uh, other reactors where that couldn't happen? Yes, uh, Chernobyl did not have a containment building, so I mean it was just a power plant out in the open. Uh, secondly, we use um, control rods in a nuclear power plant. We stop the continuing reaction of of decay that causes the uh, the heat by dropping uh, control rods down uh, between the cylinders of uranium. And uh, they used uh, carbon rods to slow it down. We use uh, material that is uh, not flammable and carbon burns. And so when it blew up, they had tremendous amount of material within the vessel uh, that burned continually. They had no contained building at all uh, if something went wrong in the reactor to uh, uh, contain the damage. So, number one, everything blew up, and it was, it was right out there in the atmosphere. Number two, they had tons of uh, carbon material that burned for days and spewed tons of material uh, into the atmosphere, uh, very, very radioactive. Secondly, they did not uh, have trained people running the plant. It was run by military people that had no training in uh, nuclear engineering. And the plant did not blow up accidentally. Strangely enough, they were running a test to see what would happen if they did this or that. And they actually put the plant at risk uh, to see how it would respond, uh, thinking that they would get some readings uh, on how it would respond, not an explosion that destroyed the whole plant. So what happened there was entirely an accident waiting to happen. The plant couldn't have built, been built in any other uh, country in the world. 
uh, and even though it was the worst imaginable accident, uh, the the ancillary damage was uh, very minimal compared to what people expected. Yeah, I don't think that can be stressed enough because that that is I can't imagine something even approximating Chernobyl just because it's so, I mean it's a Soviet creation and like just about every Soviet creation it killed people but it didn't kill people as many people as most Soviet creations did. If you just compare it to a dam breaking or I mean there are real serious dangers in the world that kill lots of people and in Japan uh we have a I mean, we have an earthquake and a tsunami that's killed over ten thousand people, and the obsession is with the alleged dangers of nuclear power. And I hear people saying, "Yeah, the real problem in Japan is nuclear. That's what we should be afraid of." And to, to me, that's horrifying because you have re, you have people who are suffering so drastically, and attention is being deflected from them. Yeah, I think it's a really journalistic malfeasance. That's uh, exactly what you say is the case, or or the fact that uh, think about how many people have died on uh, the U.S. roads from car accidents in the month that the newspapers every day are focusing on uh, the radiation problem in Japan, which uh, has killed no one, and in fact I can tell you will will not even uh, injure anyone. I'm I'm sure that uh, at least two thousand. Uh, people have died on our highways since the newspapers have been uh, focusing on the uh, nuclear problem in Japan because they uh, that's what, what scares people and that's what sells uh, media. Yeah, you mentioned the issue of fear, which, but I think as you mentioned with the case of, of France, there is this counterbalancing factor of, of education. People aren't afraid of things that they understand thoroughly. So hopefully today's show will help people understand. But what I'm really afraid of is the extent to which we've gutted nuclear power. Uh, so can you talk about how the government has been opposing nuclear power? And of course, it's opposing uh, other kinds of power at the same time, but just how it's really destroyed the industry? Well, they have created um, a government system uh, to review uh, new nuclear power plants, which is almost impossible to work through. I mean, if you were to uh, write an application uh, to build a power plant, it would take uh, at least five years uh, to get through the various uh, government bureaucracy. And at such time... Uh, that the government approved uh, a new plant, uh, you can be sure that all the anti-nuclear environmental advocacy groups would file a lawsuits uh, against this permit. Uh, that would last in the court uh, another uh, five years. So it would take 10 years to put a shovel in the ground, and for the most part, uh, the nuclear industry has uh, given up on it. There have only been two active uh, applications to build new plants in the country, one in uh, Georgia, one in South Carolina, and one that started 20 years ago in uh, Tennessee in the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, they've been working towards finishing a plant that began uh, long ago. So for the most part, the nuclear industry has really uh, you know, given up against this uh, government bureaucracy, and they've just focused on making their plants more efficient, which they have in the last 15 years. Uh, the efficiency of nuclear power plants, which is about 96% now, uh, has been the equivalent of building 26 new plants. So the nuclear industry is, is they've paid for their plants. They're producing energy inexpensively. They're making a lot of money. Frankly, I think the nuclear industry would like to see more wind and solar because that would uh, create such incredibly high electric rates that would give them an excuse to raise their rates and make more money. I, I have very little respect for the nuclear energy uh, industry. And, again, 
because we're the king of coal and natural gas, and eventually when the environmental zealots uh, lose their hold on the government and we get to develop our resources, uh, we can go on, on good, clean coal and natural gas for our power plants for uh, a couple centuries. Well, I, I, I take a slightly different view just in terms of my feeling about the industry because you mentioned the efficiency thing. That's, that's really remarkable. I think the problem with the industry is it's because it's viewed as fundamentally more dangerous than the other forms of energy, which is the opposite of the truth. It's so politicized that you basically can't do anything and so much of what you can do depends on persuading the right people, bribing the right people, and that's going to attract a different type of person. But reading... Um, magazines back in the 70s, at least among a lot of people, there was a different attitude where they were really excited about all the things that they could do and all the innovation that they could have if there was a real free market. So I want to run something by you just in terms of safety because there, there do have to be laws for safety. But my view is that safety law should be uniform across uh, different forms of energy. So whatever your standard is for coal in terms of risk of loss of life or however you want to put it, it should be the same for nuclear. Nuclear shouldn't have this standard that's 100 times greater just because it's, quote, radioactive and that's somehow worse because dying is dying. Well, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you all. I think uh, I think you're unrealistic. I, I mean, the fact that uh, nuclear is always going to have this aura of danger and mystery uh, is going to maintain the situation as it is. In, in a, a perfect world, though, you're absolutely right. We should evaluate risk and danger honestly uh, without the fear factor. But uh, because we have to cope with fear in a less and less educated society, uh, we have to do things that are unreasonable and uh, uneconomic to overcome the fear factor. But I think uh, the nuclear industry, uh, one would say, is, is, has been set back by the Japan situation in this country at least uh, 10 years. But again, it really doesn't matter because they have not worked forcefully to try to build a new plant in the last uh, 30 years, and I don't see enough uh, activity in recent years to have uh, to make me think that had the Japanese uh, situation occurred that we would have had a new plan on the ground uh, in the next 15 years. So uh, I don't think much has changed. Now, uh, from an engineering standpoint, the nuclear industry is fabulous. What they've achieved, as I said, in the last 15 years of increasing efficiency is absolutely amazing to me from a technical standpoint. But from the the powers that be, the CEO level, the profitability of these energy companies. And remember, virtually every uh, company that owns a nuclear power plant in this country also owns coal-fired and natural gas-powered uh, companies. They're really not nuclear power companies. They're energy companies, and they have a mix. And if they can raise the, the cost of, uh, of power of part of their mix, they have a right to uh, raise the cost of the energy they sell that's nuclear and their profits go up. So I'm a big believer in capitalism, but uh, there are an awful lot of capitalists that are, uh, are greedy and, and game the system and uh, are not working to the benefit of the population. Yeah, no, that is that is definitely true. But I, I think the the core problem is education, and it's education on a number of levels, including technical, including uh, economic, uh, philosophical, and and that's really the only way to ensure that we have a better energy future. We're not going to have time to talk about this, but uh, I'll have you reference some of your writings because if we take a look at something like uh, coal and natural gas, you mentioned those as alternatives, but of course those are also 
uh, the subject of enormous amounts of fear and the idea that CO2 is this deadly thing that's going to turn the planet into an oven. So I think that education with everything is uh, is just is the crucial thing. And, and with that, I'd really like to thank you for being on our program. And please tell us where can we find well, more of your resources. Everything I write is on a website, heartland.org, uh, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D.org. That's the Heartland Institute where I'm science director. And I've probably written 80 articles. I write a column called All Things Nuclear and have for years every month. And uh, there are just dozens and dozens of articles on nuclear there, but also every environmental issue. And probably we have the biggest resource on the carbon dioxide problem and the global warming delusion man is not controlling the temperature of the atmosphere. It's all there. We have literally uh, 100,000 referenced articles that are on that uh, website that one can find on any of these issues. But probably the best resource of, uh, of nuclear uh, information one can find. My book, uh, The Encyclopedia of, uh, of, Ener of Nuclear Energy, which I've uh, put together with Stephen Crivet, who's a senior editor, uh, is actually an engineering uh, book. I mean, it's serious uh, engin nuclear engineering uh, science. It's meant more uh, for engineers than for, you know, people without a, uh, uh, an energy uh, background. But all the stuff that is on Heartland.org is written for the public. Actually, our focus is for elected state, uh, city, and county officials to help them make better decisions. So I think your audience would uh, find it to be a tremendous free resource of information. Okay, everyone. Will, well, I definitely have used that resource, and uh, definitely everyone go check it out. Uh, Jay, thank you so much uh, for being on the program with us today. Alex, it's been a pleasure. I love having the time, and uh, you have certainly shown you've done your, your homework and understand this subject very well. Your questions were great, and I'm uh, delighted to have uh, participated. Our Hour, because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Dr. Lair. My number one takeaway from this interview is the importance of seeing the full context when you hear claims made about energy issues and really about any issue. There's no way to have an intelligent opinion about the Fukushima incident without, for example, knowing what the key terms mean, nuclear power, radiation, radioactivity, meltdown, and the others that we discussed on this program. And knowing the history of nuclear power, especially its actual safety record, is particularly crucial. Also crucial is knowing how nuclear power really works, including its potential hazards, but also the factors that make it very hard for it to do major damage. Another piece of context we need to know is both the positives and negatives of nuclear and the positives and negatives of the alternatives. And furthermore, we need to know the track record of the people who oppose nuclear and the track record of the people who defend nuclear. Now, these facts can be hard to find, I know, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I do this show, so that every month you can learn a lot about energy in just a commute or two, or if you prefer, just sitting right next to your computer. But even if you can't know all these things, it's important to know what you don't know and to be suspicious of anyone who tries to make you hysterical without giving you the full context. That way you can be sure that you don't contribute to the dangerous practice of blindly attacking every source of energy, and that goes on all the time today, be it attacking nuclear or attacking fossil fuels. And with that, it's time to wrap up the Power Hour. I hope you learned something, and if you did and think it's important information, please tell your friends and colleagues about it 
whatever way you can. Facebook, Twitter, email, phone calls, smoke signals, anything short of spam. As always, if you have any questions, comments, hate mail, or love mail, you can send it to alex at alexepstein.com. And to subscribe to this podcast and to subscribe to my monthly newsletter with even more energy goodness, go to my Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash The Pursuit of Energy, which will hook you up with anything you need. Again, that's facebook.com slash The Pursuit of Energy. Next month, we'll be back with another exciting topic and guest. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.